Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the AS Natural Health Podcast. Today, we have Ralph Ruiz from New York City or living in New York City in today. Um, Ralph was born in the Dominican Republic, raised in New York City. He is 31 years old and lives in New York with his wife. He's a master life coach and, hypno- and master hypnotist. He was diagnosed with AS over a decade ago and suffered for years in pain with depression, anxiety, over- and overwhelming fatigue. His relationships, finance, his career, and social life fell away, hitting rock bottom. He became bankrupt. He, is now thri- now he, he now has a thriving coaching practice where he has dedicated his professional life to giving to others what his mentor gave to him the guidance, space, and support necessary to reclaim control of his life. He has experienced for himself that chronic pain can be completely dissolved using the mind-body connection. During the last couple years, he has helped hundreds of people successfully achieve remission, guiding people using the mind-body connection. Beautiful. (laughs) It's pretty impressive. And uh, it's a real honor to have you on the show. Thank you, brother. Thank you for having me here today. It's a pleasure. Real pleasure. So we're going to dive right into it because I think this uh, this episode is going to be pretty dense. Um, so right. let's go through a brief description of your upbringing, your childhood. Oof, childhood uh, for me was extremely confusing, uh, scattered, and I would word it as literally all over the place. Uh, I was born in Dominican Republic, and during that time, my father came to the States when I was about two years old. And from the ages of uh, two to six, I lived with my mother. And my mother had a new boyfriend every other day, uh, almost every other week. And as you can imagine, back then, I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know who was my dad, where, where did dad go? Is this dad or is that dad? And um, on top of that, we lived in a wooden house uh, made of wood and cardboard. So um, we were very, very, very poor. And um, mom had to pay, pay, uh, pay her bills and feed us somehow. So that's pretty much what I grew up seeing uh, during that stage of my life. Lots of domestic violence, lots of drugs, lots of uh, dangerous things in the neighborhood where I used to live. And then around the age of six, I came to the stage with my father. And here, it wasn't much different. Uh, it was, my dad was seeing a different woman every two to three years and moving me around, babysitters here, babysitters there. So I didn't get to spend much time with him either. So I would say that my childhood, my upbringing um, was uh, very lonely. Uh, it was very confusing and scattered. And when there was order, uh, when there was, uh, you know, when dad was around and, and he was there, it was, there was a lot of neglect, uh, a lot of emotional and physical neglect. And on top of that, whenever there wasn't neglect, there was anger, lots of anger. So I had the angry dad, uh, the depressed mom that always had something to worry about. And my entire upbringing was just lots of chaos uh, all around me. Wow. Oh. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so as you got older, what kind of guy did you mature into before AS symptoms began? Uh, what was that again? What was the question? Um, like uh, as you, you know, started maturing into your adolescence and I guess uh, teenage years before AS started, what kind of a guy were you personality wise? Oh, egomaniac. Um, I couldn't be wrong about anything. Um, I wanted to be the the embodiment of Bruce Wayne. (laughs) I wanted to be Bruce Bruce Wayne by day and Batman by night. Um, I was very um, highly driven to prove to myself that I was uh, somebody and that I mattered. I just wanted to prove to the world that that I can do some crazy miraculous thing or achieve some great goal or something. So I was very driven, but um, the majority of my motivation was out of fear. It was just fear of not being good enough, fear of um, being invisible, the fear of failing, the fear of being wrong, and so on and so on. 
So um, my uh, usual routine was um, didn't leave many gaps to think, you know, didn't leave many gaps to just sit still. Uh, so it was from from sunrise to sunset. It was constant, busy, going and going and going and going and going and never really gave myself uh, time to just sit. Hmm. Okay. Cool. Um, before we go any further, I just want to say that uh, I've interviewed a lot of people that you have helped. And I talked to you. You were one of the first people um, that I well, you are the first person I found in this community. And it was something you wrote that truly inspired me, that woke me up to the possibility that all of this was possible. So I just want to acknowledge that and say how excited I am to be here with you. And I've talked to so many people who have, whose lives have drastically changed because of you. So it's just, it's a true honor. I didn't say that before. And I was just like, I, I want to say this. So anyway, my pleasure. Yeah, brother. Um, okay, so how old were you when symptoms began, AS symptoms, and what kind of symptoms were they? Uh, when AS first began, when doctors first started to um, use no. that word. Oh. oh, no, I meant like wh- when you started feeling it in your body. Oh. Um, I was about 13 years old the first time I had a flare-up. Okay, okay. I was hospitalized for a week. But um, we weren't sure what it was. Doctors thought I had pulled a hamstring or something, and they were telling my dad that they probably think it's um, something to do with uh, arthritis. And um, my dad said, no, we're not putting him on medication because they weren't really sure. And then it disappeared, and around the age of 15, I started to have swelling in the knee and swelling in uh, my feet. So um, sometimes it would be my left foot, sometimes my right foot, but I was starting to have swelling. And strangely enough, when the swelling was there, there was no pain. And um, after that, swelling went away, and then I started to experience pain, and it would come and go, you know. And I would see a a physical therapist uh, here in Bellevue Hospital, and he occasionally threw the word ankylosing spondylitis in there somewhere. And um, it was like a different language to me. I had no idea what he was talking about. I was just clueless uh, to everything that was going on around me. Then it disappeared and came back around 19 and right around the age of 21, 22. That's uh, when the doctors were like, okay, we're pretty sure this is what you have now. You know, this has been going on for a long time and we're pretty sure that this is what it is. And same reaction. I was too numb to care. I was just like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> it's like, you know, yeah, it is what it is. Yeah. Right. It didn't, yeah. didn't scare you. Did you get on medication at that time? Um, it didn't scare me, but I did, I did not like the, um, I didn't like the idea of having something that was incurable Mm -hmm. and, um, emotionally I was, I was very emotionally out of it. I was suicidal. I was, uh, very depressed and, um, it was uncomfortable, but I didn't, I had scarier things going on in my head, you know? So, um, it was, it was just what it was. Uh, doctors gave me um, a tuberculosis test, which um, they put the little bubble in your arm, and the little bubble got bigger than what they what they uh, expected. And basically, they said that because um, uh, TNF, I think that's what it's called, TNF blockers, um, because those those things uh, trigger tuberculosis in some people or lowers their immune system, they want to make sure that there was no tuberculosis. So they did chest x-rays, chest x-rays were fine, and they said, okay, just as a precaution, we'll give you this medication. And they gave me a medication, um, which at some point was used as an antidepressant. And I got on the medication, and I started to have side effects. I couldn't feel my limbs. I was um, having psychotic symptoms where I wasn't sure if I was awake or asleep. And um, I started to lose my mind. And... The doctors decided to take me off that medication immediately, and that's where I experienced some serious depression. It's the worst depression I ever experienced in my life, and um, that's where I decided that, yeah, medicine wasn't gonna wasn't gonna do it. You know, I had to okay. had to figure out another way to um, 
to get out of that mess because medicine was just not working. So you lost, you lost faith, not faith, uh, faith. in um, um, medicine, medicine in Western yeah. at that point. I lost faith. Um, I never had faith in, in it to begin with. Um, I think it was um, more to do with fear. I became afraid of it. Okay. Yeah. Copy. Um, so how old were you when you were diagnosed? Around 21, 22, okay. approximately. Yeah. And uh, so that was your primary. What did you do next? So you were, were you inspired to heal naturally or like you said you were really depressed and you were fearful. So what was your next step from there? If you were totally depressed, um, what did you do from there? Um, my healing journey started out of anger. Okay. I was, I just got tired of limping around and feeling sorry for myself. And, um, I just got very angry. And I remember one day I felt, I felt threatened by my condition. I was on the train and there was some people that were doing trouble and uh, messy things on the train and I felt threatened and I figured, okay, you know, I could barely walk. If these guys wanted to mess with me, I wouldn't have a way to defend myself. So I got scared, I got angry and I decided to go back to boxing with the pain. And I wanted to learn how to box with pain. It's like, you know, I'm gonna learn how to fight again with the pain. So I wasn't interested in healing. Then my wife told me about the low starch diet. And um, at the time we weren't, we weren't married, we weren't engaged or anything. So I started the low starch diet. Then she told me about yoga and started doing yoga. So I was doing yoga, I was on low starch and I was doing boxing. And um, that got me to a place where I was feeling uh, physically, I was feeling really good. Like, I was like, wow, this is great. You know, I could live like this, you know, like a little stiffness in the morning, a little stretching, but I'll be all right. You know, like, okay. I'll be okay. So um, boxing is what helped me um, start that journey. But there was still emotional stuff going on. I still had the panic attacks and the anxiety and, and the uh, depression and the occasional fatigue where uh, sometimes there was, there was one time I was walking down the street with my wife and I literally had to sit down on the floor and take a nap. Right there in the middle of the sidewalk, I had to take a nap of how wow. bad it was. Like the burnout wow. was incredible. And um, yeah, after that, that's um, about a few weeks, probably a few months after that, um, I went back to the doctor and that's when the whole episode with the uh, tuberculosis test happened. So the TB test came after I was um, doing the boxing and everything. Oh, and the only reason why we did the TB test in the first place is because I told the doctor, hey, you know, physically I'm feeling much better now. You know, like occasionally I have like stiffness in the morning and a little pain. And um, the doctor said, yeah, well, you know, we don't want this to progress. It could get worse. You know, by the time you're 30, you could be in a wheelchair. And he was just very persistent to, you know, to to uh, take care of it in case it came back. And um, the my, AS you're talking. Yeah. The uh, the symptoms, you know. Right. And um, my wife said, you know, you, sh you should take the um, at least take the tuberculosis thing uh, as a precaution in case we have to, you know, in case you have to get on a TNF um, what's, at what's, some point. What's TNF? TNF blockers. It's like, if I'm saying it correctly, I'm not sure if that's what it's called. I don't know. I'm not sure. It's like a biologic medication. Oh, where, oh okay. Biologics. So um, she said, you know, oh, you should right. just get on as a precaution and um, just in case it, it does flare up again, you know. So I did it. And then I had my psychotic episode and my depression. And that's where I said, no way. You know, I'm not, so, I'm not doing that. <laughs> wait, did you get on biologics? Is that what you're saying? No. What the, you uh, the, uh, before you can get on biologics, yeah. Um, yeah. if you have to break, if you fail the tuberculosis test, you have to get on a nine month trial of antibiotics. Oh. Okay. And the antibiotics okay. that I was put on had antidepressant qualities in it. Okay. So when okay. I started taking it, it wasn't just antibiotics. It was all this stuff going on in, in my mind. And um, altogether, it, was, it just created the uh, side effects that I experienced. Right. So I never made it to get it on biologics. Okay. 
I guess that's good, <laughs> maybe. Um, yeah. So you experienced a ton of depression. How long were you on those medications? The I was on for about two months. Oh, okay. And, and what happened was that the, um, the antibiotics were known to cause nerve damage. And the doctors gave me vitamin B6 to counteract the uh, nerve damage, the potential nerve damage. But after two months, I told the doctor I couldn't feel my limbs. I couldn't feel my legs and I couldn't feel my arms. Wow. And um, that's when he said, get off that medication immediately. Get off, get off. So I got off of it. And um, that's where the depression came in. You know, so after. once. Yeah. After getting off. Okay. That's where the depression came in. And did the AS come back yeah. with the depression? Yeah. Um, I still had my symptoms. I still had occasional little pain here and there and, and stiffness. So I wouldn't say it came back because the, uh, the medication was never for AS. The medication was to prepare for the AS medication, mm-hmm. you know, cause if you get on AS medication, it lowers your immune system. And if you have tuberculosis in your body, then you run the risk of, uh, flaring up the tuberculosis. So to prepare for AS medication, I had to take the antibiotics. And the antibiotics is what gave me the side effects. Right. Yeah, I was yeah. just I was wondering if the depression led to AS symptoms coming back after you got off that medication. Um, after I got off the medication, um, I was depressed for about a month, probably a month and a half, just okay. floating around. <laughs> floating around in the world just like okay. having no place to go okay. and um, after that uh, I had a few flare-ups obviously you know okay. and um, and when the pain pretty much stayed between mild to uh, occasional flare-ups so it was mild to flare-ups mild to flare-ups and um, after that I just got more serious about about my health so I started meditating and looking into the uh, mind-body connection um, what point did you start YouTubing about your I, journey? I started YouTubing right after the um, psychotic episode. And like right after that, I started YouTubing. And um, I, I never wanted to get on YouTube. I got on YouTube because I was pissed off. I was angry. And um, I wanted to share with people a different way to take care of, of their body because I had lost faith in Western medicine and I was angry with Western medicine. I was angry with my doctor. So I did my very first video out of anger and I just put it in there and I said, look, you can get better with boxing, with nutrition, with meditation. And I left it there and I forgot about it. I just completely forgot about the video. And um, what happened next was that I started getting messages from people and they started asking like, you know, I want to know more about this diet. So we got on Skype just like you and I are right now. And remember the first person I spoke to, um, we had like a nice long hour, hour and a half conversation. And then at one point, the person goes, Ralph, I appreciate that, man. You're, you're cool, man. You're a cool guy. You know, I've always had a rough life. And, um, you know, it's nice to see that there are nice people out there. I go, what do you mean you've had a rough life? And he goes, well, you know, my childhood wasn't that great. I go, what do you mean it wasn't that great? And they started sharing, you know, that story. Then another person came along. I want to know about your diet. And then the same thing. Well, my childhood wasn't that great. And I went, wait a minute. And I still have the note in my phone. It's somewhere in there somewhere. Um, I went, wait a minute. Why is this happening? And I started to write down the similarities, like in the stories that they were telling me. It was the same story over and over, literally over and over. And um, that's when I started to realize, you know, there's, there's something else going on here. So I went from YouTubing out of spite and anger to YouTubing, um, beating around the bushes because I was scared to tell people, you know, what I what I was observing. You know, I was scared to sound like a crazy person and say, you know, this has something to do with with childhood, you know, or with your thoughts and your beliefs and so on. It's like, that's crazy talk, you know. But then as I continued to dig deeper and working with my mentor and went back to college, study psychology, I realized, wait a minute, this isn't crazy talk. Not only is it not crazy talk, we've known this for what, hundreds of years now, you know, and if if we're bringing spirituality into it, like Buddhism and, you know, chakra meditation and, and all these past Eastern philosophies, we've known this for thousands of years. 
that the mind and the body are connected and that our emotional state affects our body and our body affects our emotional state and it also affects the mind and vice versa. So um, I realized, oh, this is not crazy talk. And it took me a while before I built up the confidence to get back on YouTube and change the whole thing and just tell everyone, look, this is what it is. And sure enough, um, I did so. And after that, for every 100 people that send me a message saying, man, thank you. That helped me a lot. I get like one or two that go the opposite direction, you know, that curse me out and yeah, piece of shit. You're alpha. It's like, (laughs) Hey man, I'm sorry. But you know, if there weren't a hundred people saying the opposite from what that person is saying, then I might consider, you know, not talking about this anymore, but apparently it's, it's real, man. It's a real thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, two questions. I want to know about your mentor, um, but I also want to know how long were you on this low starch diet and YouTubing about that with the boxing, meditation, and yoga? How long was that period before mind body connection came in for you? Uh, while I was still talking about diets and exercise, um, I was working with my mentor. You know, so we were already exploring. It took about five or six months before I had enough phone calls with people that I started to realize, okay, this isn't right. You know, there's something else going on here. And um, I had experiences with people in my personal life where my mentor is one of them that they would say things to me like, oh, you have, you have your, your chronic pain, you know, and then they'll turn around and say something like trauma in there. So it was like, you know, why do these people keep saying that word? And why do the people that call me from YouTube keep telling me the same story? You know, so while I was on the diet and YouTubing and talking about it, I was working with my mentor and that period lasted about about a year, you know, approximately. You, you were on the low starch diet for about a year, do you think? Yeah, about a year. Okay. Entire year. And uh, what was your experience with, um, did you lose a lot of weight? I did. I lost about 30 pounds. Yeah, it's a lot. And that's about me too. I was on a low starch diet and drastically changed my body. Yeah. Um, okay, so tell me about your mentor, Edward P. Gauss. Yes. Right. P. Tell Gauss. me about him. How did you meet him? And what, like, does he have AS uh, or had AS or is he a psychologist? How did you find him and who is he? He is a man um, who I consider a brother. He's a very good friend of mine. And um, I met him in a charity organization about, uh, this was back back when I was like, all the way at the start of all of this. I met him when I was around 23 years old. So um, seven, eight years ago. And um, we were friends on a personal level before we started talking about AES and all that stuff. So he's an acupuncturist with a background in psychology. And before his studies in psychology, he grew up studying uh, African, ancient African spirituality and different types of religions. So the entire mind-body healing thing was something that he's been into his entire life, uh, just his upbringing and everything altogether. And he did have uh, chronic pain at some point in his life and he also recovered. Uh, only thing is that he never discussed if he ever, if he was ever diagnosed with anything. Uh, he just said, "Yeah, I used to have that kind of pain too," and right. never never gave it a label right. uh, to what he used to have. So um, when when I started to connect with people on Skype, I called them. I called them and I said, "Look, I remember one time you said something about the mind when I was telling you about my back pain." And he said, "Yeah," and I said, I, "You know, I'm." I'm starting to see something. And he says, what do you see? And I tell him, well, this is what I'm experiencing. You know, and he says, come to my office immediately. So I went to his office and we started working acupuncture and talking at the same time. You know, so um, that's where the mind body, you know, so not just needles in me, but also conversing with him. And then he would tell me, well, you should read this book. And I'll read the book. And then he says, read that book. And I'll read that book. Uh, then I signed up to college courses. 
and I started studying psychology in, in college. Then he says, you should study hypnosis. You know, and I said, yeah, I should study hypnosis. So I got into hypnosis and I really, I got really deep into the mind, you know, like, what is that? You know, what is it? What's going on in there? And, um, as usual, you know, when, when a person struggles with chronic pain and the personality kicks in, I too had the tendency to complicate things, complicated the crap out of everything. And, um, it was just my nature in my mind. If, if something wasn't complicated, I didn't see value in it. So fast forward five years later to today, and I can tell you, it's not that complicated. It's a lot simpler than, than we make it out to be. It's just that the mind of the chronic pain sufferer has the tendency to complicate everything. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes it difficult. That's what makes uh, healing difficult, that we try to rationalize and make sense out of everything. And some things just don't make sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> so... Um how long were you working with Edward? Oof. Edward is someone who, until this day, is still in my life. You know, so till this day, I still talk to him. And um, I, I like to say that healing from AS, if you're, if you're going to get into the mind-body healing journey and you're going to start exploring your inner world with the intention of healing your back pain, you're not going to get very far. Yeah, you're not going to get very far. The intention for me since I started working with Edward was to get to know myself better. Hmm. Yeah. I wanted to get to know myself better. I wanted to know, you know, if I was repressing something, um, why, you know, and for what reason and, uh, what was so bad about myself that I had to hide it from myself. So it was, it was always about self-discovery. And, um, to this day, I, you know, I use that same wording, you know, for people who call me like, Hey, can you help me with my back pain? from the beginning is self-discovery, self-discovery, self-discovery. You know, what can you discover about yourself? And once you discover it, can you make peace with it? And once you make peace with it, um, you can move on from there. And that's all it is. So to this day, I'm still on my self-discovery journey. I'm still learning things about myself every single day, Uh, especially now. just had literally just completed, last week just completed a year of living together with my wife. And that year I learned so much about myself like wow holy smokes you know it's like (laughs) every every phase of life has its nice little package of things to learn about yourself so this year I learned a ton about myself you know what kind of husband I actually am versus the type of husband that I thought I was going to be or the the type of husband that I thought I was supposed to be you know so still learning still learning about myself so Edward is still still someone I talk to you know it's 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 nice to have someone, specifically a male, you know, so people who are listening to this, um, it's really nice to have a male that you can get in touch with your feelings with, because a lot of times men with AS, that's what they're missing. You know, it's very easy to turn to a woman and especially if the man has sexualized his um, vulnerability, it's very easy to turn to a woman and turn into a sexaholic looking for that bonding, you know, when our entire life, many of us didn't have that. Many of us look towards our fathers and our fathers look like this all the time and, you know, telling us that we had to be tough and rough and get ready for, for some tragic thing that never happened. Um, some of us can greatly benefit from having a male figure that we can be honest to about how we feel, you know, and that, that, you know, to open up about, I'm afraid of this, I'm afraid of that, um, I'm not as confident as I pretend to be, you know, I'm afraid of failure, and have that male go, you know, that's okay, you know, I've been there too, I know the feeling, and, and it's okay, it's easier to make peace with it. Mm-hmm. So, to this day, I, 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 I value uh, very deeply my relationship with Edward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just to clarify um, to anyone out there, I think Ralph was saying if you're if you're a guy to have a male mentor, if, if you have AS, or is that what you're saying? If, if you're a woman with AS, maybe you'd find a female mentor. No, no. no. To clarify, okay. To <laughs> clarify that point. Many times, uh, men with AS uh, grew up with a father who was. Not always, obviously, just many times. 
who was um, overly demanding, set the bar really high, uh, hypercritical, um, sometimes um, just never showed his vulnerability, couldn't be wrong, had to be right about everything, um, and had a very hard time expressing what we like to call uh, soft feelings, you know, or the feminine energy. So what happens with having a father like that is that the man grows up to try to be like his father, denying his vulnerability, denying his sadness, denying his insecurities, denying his fears. So because they didn't have the male model to model to them what it's like to be vulnerable, a lot of times being able to have a therapist who is a male and be able to show your vulnerable side to a man you know, that has a different effect than getting a female therapist that you can be vulnerable with. Because a lot of times, some of us, you know, mommy mommy may not have been present, but she was there, you know, when, when you were sick or she was there when you needed someone to talk to about how bad it went in school or whatever. So we learn over time that it's easier to express our feelings not always. Some of us are, have the opposite experience, but it's easier to express your feelings towards a woman. But then when you're around your male friends, you know, it's about, oh, we're so tough. Who wants to watch football? You know, when deep down inside, you just want to go home and bake some cookies, you know, and just just relax and sit back. You know, so basically what I'm what I'm alluding to is society's hyper masculine idea. You know, a lot of times the AS sufferer uh, gets carried away with that, with that idea that's being portrayed in society. You know, what it means to be a man. If you cry, you're soft. You know, if, if you show that you're afraid, uh, you're, you're not a man, you're a wimp, you know. And that a lot of times when it comes to healing, males specifically, is to get in touch with that vulnerable side. And when it comes to females, a lot of times... The same thing applies, you know, getting in touch with your vulnerability, getting in touch with the part of you that is able to say, I'm, I'm scared, you know, and I need someone to be vulnerable with, you know, someone that won't look at me funny when I say that I'm sick and tired of this place, you know, it's like life is boring as hell and I don't know what to do with myself, you know, so just to clarify that point, you know. Thank you. I appreciate that. Hey, my pleasure. Um, tell me about, um, your experience being, I know this guy kind of going back a little bit, but I wanted to cover it. Your experience being, um, at the top being evicted and being bankrupt before it, like as AS was coming oh, yes. on in your life. Yeah. I wanted to get that in there cause it's a big part of like your journey. Yes. So um, rock bottom for me came, that was around the year 2010, 2011-ish. And um, I found myself evicted. I had a car and a motorcycle, and both of them were repossessed, and I couldn't pay for anything. So I was evicted, no cars, no motorcycles, uh, no health, and um, had to go bankrupt, like literally had to go bankrupt. And uh, that's where... I guess they say once you hit rock bottom, there's nowhere else to go, right? Uh, the good news is that not everyone has to hit rock bottom. You know, what, what rock bottom did for me is that it started the, it started the self-reflection uh, journey for me. Because when you have nothing left to um, use as a mask to hide your vulnerable points, you know, it's like, I'm not vulnerable. Look at my motorcycle. I'm not vulnerable. Look at my car. I'm not vulnerable. Look at my apartment. I'm not vulnerable. Look at my job or my job title or my success. You know, when you don't have any of that anymore, what do you have left? Mm. You you have left is you. So, (laughs) you know, you don't have a choice but to look at yourself. And um, that's that's where I found myself. As weird as it sounds, in that darkness is where I found myself. Mm. You know, I started to discover what was really important for me. Um, I remember the first time um, I showed or expressed vulnerability, uh, it was to my wife. And um, it came when I said to her, babe, I got to tell you something. And she says, what did you do? I didn't do it. She says, what do you got to tell me? 
it's all hard um you see how i'm always aiming for like high goals and high achievements and she says yeah and i said to her a lot of that stuff i don't really want and she says what do you mean and so i don't really want i feel that a lot of times I pursue high achievements and high goals just to impress you and impress the people around me. When in fact, I don't even know what I want. Mm. And she goes, okay. And what's the point? And so I just wanted to be honest that I'm not as outgoing as I pretend to be. And she goes, okay. Then like a few weeks later, I came back with another you know, self-revealing, self-liberating, and this one I almost vomit. It's sad to say, but um, when I was when I was in pain, it was so easy for me to uh, tell my wife how angry and how much I, I hated people and so on, and express my frustration. But it was so hard to express love. It was so hard to express that I needed people. It was so hard to express my vulnerability. And I remember one of the very first things that I said to her was. Um, I said, babe, I got to say something. And she goes, uh-oh. I said, I know, I know this one's tough, so bear with me. And I would go, babe, I, and she'll go, what? What do you have to say? I go, oh, it was like, it was like an exorcism. It was like, oh, I can't say it. And she goes, what are you, what are you talking about? Like, would you hurry up? And I go, oh, I need you. (laughs) She goes, for what? And I said, I need you in my life for companionship. And she goes, oh, that's so sweet. And I go, stop that. Stop that. (laughs) Stop. But um, that's where I started to open up, you know. To, oh to that part of me, you know, the part of me that that was so desperately wanting to get out and, and just connect with the world and connect with life as opposed to constantly walking around like if I had everything under control, you know, like, look at me. I, I got everything under control, you know. No, I couldn't. I couldn't live that way anymore. So, uh, yeah, that's pretty much that. That's what Rock Bottom did to me. It showed me that vulnerability is liberating you know it's it's scary at first but it's so liberating you know to not have to use things to hide yourself behind you know wow that's incredible um and to go back just i'm just curious what were you doing to make the money to buy a car and and a apartment and a motorcycle what like quickly like what kind of work were you doing oh that's a good question god that's such a great question (laughs) um basically uh in a few days probably a week or two i'm not sure yet when exactly but um in a few days or so um there's going to be uh an article published on forbes and the article is going to be specifically on that you know success from fear versus success from passion and purpose, you know, what's the difference? Some people can become multimillionaires um, running out of running away from their fears, while other people can do the same or even more just because they're having fun with their life. So what I was doing before that to have a car and a motorcycle, I was working at a sale, as a sales manager in a motorcycle dealership on 47th Street, 11th Avenue. And um, I was also working as a fitness instructor. So back then, all I had were my two jobs and my muscles and my car and my motorcycle. It's like I was ripped. Like just looked like a lobster. But um, Like a lobster. That was my ego. You know, my ego, my self-esteem was hanging on onto how I looked, you know, what I had and so on. So um, I had two jobs. And I remember I used to get home around midnight. The majority of the time, a friend of mine would drive me home. Uh, who also also worked in the gym with me. And sometimes I had to take public, public transportation. But I would get home around midnight, uh, take a quick shower, and there were times where I actually slept with my shoes on, with my shoes hanging off the edge of the bed so that when the alarm went off, all I had to do was get up and leave. 
you know, sometimes I wouldn't even brush my teeth. I had to be what? back in the gym around 5.30 in the morning. So at 5 a.m., I'll get up, get in the cab, go straight to the gym, do like two or three sessions, take a nap in the uh, trainer lounge. And then after that nap, be at the motorcycle dealership, which was like two blocks away from the gym um, by 9 a.m. And then after that, I'll take my protein shakes, my pre-workouts, get back in the gym, pump some iron, train some more clients, get in the car with my friend, go home, be there by midnight, and then do it again the next day. Oh, so, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> That's terrible, mental, dude. <laughs> it's terrible, you know. But um, sleeping with your shoes on—that is priceless. It was awful, you know. And when I did take public transportation, I was reading. I was yeah, reading yeah. or studying uh, something on audio. Like I was constantly, you know, reading Warren the the diary or the journal of Warren Buffett and and reading all this stuff about stocks and charts and you know even started uh, studying a different language. And um, at the time, I just tried really hard to not have any downtime, no downtime, because sitting down um, was a threat to me. You know, it was a threat. You know, it, it proved to me that I was lazy and that I wasn't going to make it in life and that I wasn't good enough and so on. So anything to get away from downtime. Wow. That was how I functioned back then. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Um, well, you started talking about Forbes, so I really want to know more about it. And I understand that, okay, so you have an article coming out. Someone wrote an article about you where you were interviewed by Forbes. Yeah. Um, that's coming out in about a week or so. And, and it's about the people that you have trained. Oh, the article is about this. There's been a few people that I worked with who are entrepreneurs and business owners. Like and worked with you mean with AS? They had AS? Yeah. Okay, okay. They had AS. So we started working with their AS. And um, it's ironic that um, after they healed from their AS, because believe it or not, a big part of healing your AS is to change your belief systems. So if you believe that you're not good enough, change the belief. If you believe you're not worthy, change the belief. And when you change beliefs, it changes the way you do everything. Changes the way you do your business, changes the way you parent your child, changes the way you treat your spouse, changes the way you approach your career and everything. So there's a few people that I worked with who were business owners and they were earning six figures. And after they healed, they moved up into millionaires. They became millionaires. Uh, There's one person in particular who, when we started working, she was $30,000 in debt all over the place. And now she has, you know, six figures. Uh, making really good money. She has nice savings in the bank and she's completed four triathlons after after going into remission. Like four Holy triathlons. Cow. I know, right? <laughs> uh, she's a really good friend of mine. Really, really amazing what, person. What's her name? Well, I don't want to say her name. Okay, but, uh, okay. She's, okay. She's, a, okay. she's a very, very amazing individual. You know, if she wants to come out, she'll, she'll say her name. But okay, cool. I don't, I don't want to say her name because um, she works in... Um, in the medical industry. Okay. And her license mm-hmm. is kind of iffy uh, when she wants to talk about mind body healing and stuff. So, cool. um, Respect if she decides that. to come out and, Hey, that's me, then, you know, that's up to her, you know, okay. but uh, basically the Forbes article is about that. You know, the difference from when I was keeping myself busy, um, to prove to myself that I was good enough out of fear, uh, versus what happened next. So what happened next was that, as I worked with Edward and changed my belief systems and changed the way I expressed myself and saw life, et cetera, et cetera, um, I started to see what, what was really important to me. You know, what did I really care about? So I was no longer looking to succeed to impress my dad. I was just looking to express what I believed in. Thank you. My pleasure. Okay. So, um, next question, what is the most consistent obstacle you observe um, when coaching people with a, um, with AS, um, in terms of their healing obstacle in terms of their healing, there's an obstacle that is consistent and that is belief. Um, a lot of people just don't believe that they, they can get better. Um, but believe it or not, belief is not the one that gets in the way the most. 
because uh, if you don't believe you can heal, that's just a belief. We can change that. We can change the belief that, you know, you're not going to get better. That's that's an easy one. Um, the one that gets in the way the most is deserving. Do you actually deserve to be better? Oh, wow. You know, some people don't believe that they deserve to live a good life. And, um, and it's sad because a lot of times those are the people that read Sarno. They get better physically and then they find a new struggle. Mm. And then they deal with that struggle and then they find a new one. And then they deal with that one and they find a new one. So they're constantly looking for a new struggle. And it boils down to, do you believe that you deserve peace and happiness and joy? Do you, do you believe that you deserve a good life? You know? And then from there, uh, once the person accepts, I do, I do deserve it. I do deserve to spend time with myself. I do deserve to, you know, because at the end of the day, uh, Michael, I tell you this, man, I hate to spoil it for you, but this movie we call Life, the guy dies at the end, you know, as well as the woman, you know, they all die at the end, you know, that's, that's the end of the movie. I hate to spoil it for you, but it's not about living forever. It's not about living longer. It's about living fully. You know, it's like we have one life to live and we can argue all day about what happens next once we're put in the ground. Um, but the point is that it's about living fully. You know, how fully can you live? Can you live? And not only how fully, but do you deserve to live fully? Do you deserve to live a full life? You know, and then there are some things we can't control that happen. And, you know, do you deserve to move forward and, and just live, you know, live a good life? And that's, that's all it is. Those are the two obstacles. Uh, belief, which is not the one that stops people. The one that stops people is deserve. Do you actually deserve it? Wow. Yeah. Do you think that's coming from shame or guilt? Uh, a lot of times it's guilt. Uh, a lot of times. And it's not always the guilt of things that you did. You know, it's not like, oh, I feel guilty because I did that. A lot of times it's not even that. Um, for some people, um, the guilt could just be um, from their from their circle of influence when they were growing up. You know, so basically it's the type of thing where um, I grew up in a very poor uh, environment. Uh, I grew up in the hood, like they say, um, very difficult uh, surroundings, very difficult environment. And um, what I can tell you is that at some point when things started to get better for me, it was hard to accept it. It was hard to accept it. You know, there was a part of me that was still telling myself, I'll never forget where I'm from. I'll never forget my people. Oh, you know, I have to go back and rescue them. You know, and then as I got better at understanding the mind and understanding beliefs, I attempted to go back and rescue my people. You know, like if I was some kind of Moses, I attempted to go back and, and try to save people and show them that they can have a better life. Mom, dad, brother. I went back and I tried to save them. And then at one point I realized that I wasn't trying to save them. I was trying to save myself, you know, because I was moving forward in a positive direction while at the same time looking back and realizing that none of them were coming with me. So I wanted them to come with me. But the truth of the matter is that not everyone has the gift to just wake up one day and go, wait a minute, I don't have to live this way. Not everyone has that gift. You know, it's like, it's an awakening that happens within you where you just go, wait, I don't have to live this way. I deserve better. All I have to do is just put my focus on what I want for myself, not to impress people, and move in that direction. And what beliefs are holding me back? What resources do I need? What obstacles may be in front of me and how do I deal with them? You know, not everyone has that. So to go back to my family, trying to rescue them, I was just trying to rescue myself. And um, at one point it became clear to me that um, the guilt and the shame that I was feeling from my success um, was also coming from that feeling that I didn't, I didn't deserve it. You know, it's like, if you're going to deserve it, 
then you have to bring everyone with you. It doesn't work that way. Unfortunately, it doesn't work that way. We cannot, we cannot save ourselves and everyone else at the same time, you know, because unfortunately there's a lot of codependency that, that plays along in that as well. And eventually it, it brings you back down, you know? So yeah, you'll be able to take off, but it's only a matter of time before it brings you back down. Right. Right. And that's on a spiritual sense, you know, not like financially, but spiritually it, it will get you someday. So to move forward, I deserve uh, to live better. And if anyone from my past, obviously, if anyone of my friends, family members and so on asks me, they say, hey, Ralph, you know, can you suggest something so I can maybe change my life? Yeah, definitely. Read this book. And then I'll leave it at that. If they follow up and they tell me, hey, I read the book. It was great. What else do you have? then we can have a conversation, but I won't follow up. I'm not calling them back. I'm not going to yeah. get on top of them and say, Hey, you know, did you read the book? That's all on them. You know? Yeah. yeah. I can only give what I'm asked for. And from that point forward is beyond me. Yeah. 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 Cool. Um, do you coach people in other areas besides AS healing? Uh, yes, uh, we do life coaching. We do authentic uh, self-expression. Uh, we do business coaching. Uh, so there's there's a lot of areas that, that we work on. The main, if I can put it under one single umbrella, uh, it would be self-development and self-mastery and um, in all, all areas of your life. So a lot of times coaching starts with AS because that's the majority of people that come to me come to me because of their AS. So it starts there. But then... Once you look at yourself in a mirror and you're going, oh, I can move, you know, and you're going, wow, I feel great. You know, after being told so many times, I'd say you're doomed, you know, you're doomed, you're doomed. After being told so many times and you, you look at yourself in the mirror, you go, man, I dodged a bullet. You know, it's like I really, really escaped by the skin of my teeth. It's, it becomes impossible to not ask yourself what else is possible you know it really does become impossible you go man i did this and then that little voice in your head just goes what else is possible and you go oh scare me scare me and then you know you get over that fear and then you go okay and then that's where you start to move into your life purpose you know your life purpose is the one thing that will scare the crap out of you. If you think AS is scary, wait until you become aware of your life purpose, the thing that, that shines within you. You know, you move into that, and you'll be scared. At the beginning, you'll be scared. You know, oh, that's too much for me. I can't do it. And then you start to believe in yourself. You know, you start to believe in, 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 in a higher power, something beyond yourself. And eventually, you know, just like in the story of Moses, you grab your rod and you lead the way, you know, because that's, that's what you came here to do. And it may not be a big deal in other people's eyes, but to you it is. But you ask me, like, is it a big, what's the big deal with making sure that people have better dads? To me, that's a big deal. You know, it's like, I want people to have better dads, you know. That's it, you know. And better moms, too, but mainly better dads. You know, it's like, we're getting carried away with this hyper-masculine idea that we have going on. You know, this whole macho, nacho, don't show your feelings and treat women like crap. No, that needs to stop. You know, it needs to stop. And to me, that's important. Yeah. Okay. What is the best part of coaching people with AS? I would say that the best part of coaching people with AS is that people with AS, for the most part, have seen the worst the worst part of humans, you know, um, for the most part, not always, for the most part, uh, the a, the typical AS sufferer has seen the worst part of life, the worst, uh, in their upbringing and their life, they have seen so many terrible things. And then at one point in order to move out of that, they have to make peace with what they've seen. So making peace with what you've seen means not being afraid of what you've seen and what you've been through no longer being afraid of it so when you have a person who has been through so much uh difficulties and has had their spirit broken in so many pieces once they put it back together and they're not afraid of 
the thing that hurt them initially. They're no longer afraid of it. That's a person that, that has a unique, very special ability, you know, very special ability. So you forgave your past. You let go of the thing that used to scare you. Now what? You know, now the question is, now what? So you're no longer afraid of the big, bad wolf. You know, you're no longer afraid of him. Now what? And what you have left is that usually once they have the right resources, they understand themselves better, they got their confidence, you know, they, they know how to work their own fears and their own minds. The only thing that's left is to go back and tame the wolf. You know, yeah, yeah, you tame the wolf, you turn him into a little puppy. You know, you have your little puppy, the thing that you used to be so scared of, you turn him into a little puppy. And then from there, um, that specific individual, which uh, usually deep down inside, beyond their pain, beyond beyond their their suffering, beyond their depression, beyond their anxiety, behind their anger, behind their rage, behind all of that, there's there's a spirit. You know, we call it the inner child or whatever it is. There's a spirit in there. And once you touch, you reconnect with that spirit and that spirit comes out, you know, it's no longer afraid of the darkness. It's just shining out here. It becomes indestructible. You know, in many ways, it's, it becomes indestructible. Sure, physically, we're all destructible. We're all vulnerable. But spiritually, it becomes indestructible. So whenever we have other wolves come around with their big, you know, scary teeth, the person who went through that journey tames it. And I just say, yeah, I'm not afraid of you. I've seen you before. You know, yeah, let me show you the puppy I have. You know, it's like, and then you tame the wolf. You know, and over time, it creates a ripple effect where more and more people with their big bad wolf face on uh, try to, you know, do what they usually do. And they come across an awakened being. You know, they come across an awakened soul and they can't do anything to it. You know, it's and then the wolf gets tamed. And before you know it, that wolf, you know, his light is sparked and then he sparks another light and the light continues to spread. And before you know it, we have more and more people looking at each other going, what am I doing? You know, what the heck am I doing? You know, what is this? This is not life. You know, we come into this world and we're all trying to prove something. It's like, no, you know, I'm, I'm tired of proving you know, I'm ready to live. There's no, there's no more proving. I have nothing to prove. I am good enough. You know, and then from there, you move into your purpose. You know, so that's my favorite part of working with people with, with chronic pain, that they're extremely resilient. Um, deep down inside, they're kind-hearted individuals. Um, they're afraid of the things they've seen, but once they overcome that fear, uh, they get back in touch with that inner child, and that inner child becomes a spirit, and it shares with the world something that, Whatever, you know, whatever it is, it shares it with the world. And it's usually something that it was born to share. It's like I was born to share this thing specifically because this is to me, this is a big thing. Um, I tell you one thing. My number one fun activity when I was a child was telling stories. I love stories, man. Not just telling, but also hearing stories. It's like I can sit all day and listen to stories, you know. And um, when I was able to reconnect to that part of me that inner child just came to life. It's like, wow, you know, you know, it tells stories and it listens to stories and somewhere along the line, all this storytelling has like a therapeutic effect on people and they go, wow, my back pain went away. And I go, wow, that's great. My inner child goes, yeah, stories, stories. And then the person goes, yeah, my back pain is getting better. <laughs> you know? So we all have that thing inside us that, that we really enjoy. You know, and that's that's the beauty of it. That's that's what I like the most with people with with AS is that once they connect to that, it's usually a very beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. oh, oh. Thank you. My pleasure. Uh, last question uh, for me. Uh, if you could go back and give yourself any kind of advice um, when you hit rock bottom what would that advice be to yourself? If I can go back, the one number one advice that I would give myself is spend time with yourself. You know, spend time with yourself. You know, get to know yourself. You know, really like learn how to sit down with yourself. 
that's it. And I'm, and my old self will probably come back and say, what the hell does that mean? You know, and then I will have to explain to him, you know, learn how to sit, sit with yourself. You know, it's like, uh, we all have that memory when we were kids of that one thing that we used to do that we used to just glow when we did it. You know, for me, it was the lights will go out in Dominican Republic. We'll go outside and share stories with my cousins and everyone that was there. And sometimes we'll look up at the stars and we can see the stars and, you know, just sitting and sharing stories. You know, that was the thing that made my body glow. Another thing was science. Since I was a little kid, you know, Bill Nye, the science guy in the Magic School Bus, I was always curious about science. You know, how does this work? And I was like, what's in it? You know, so for me, curiosity is also something that brings me to life. You know, so it's not like, you know, when my ego thing was driving me nuts, it was like, I had to solve this because I can't be wrong. Now it's like, hmm, that's interesting. What does this button do? You know, it's like curiosity again. Like what does, you know, just poking around. For some of us, it was playing with little cars or playing with dolls. We all had that thing that made us glow inside. So when I say learn how to sit with yourself, learn how to be present with yourself, learn how to spend time with yourself, is to be able to find that that part of you where you can just sit and it doesn't necessarily mean sit, but you get to do that activity or experience that activity and just glow. It's like a glow that comes out of you, you know, something that 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 your body feels like it's lighting up, you know? And um with my wife, I can tell you that um just to conclude, one thing that I really enjoy that makes me glow as real as it sounds is um sitting back playing video games and eating potato chips so <laughs> potato chips and play video games and I can do that all night like it would go by and I could just yeah wow this is great you know it makes my body glow you know but then you ask me like where what are the origins of that well when I was a little kid um, I would go to my cousin's house and we would play video games and eat potato chips and stay up all night and just play you know it's like a slumber party right. you know with the stories and we'll, we'll play with the Hot Wheels and, you know, play Super Mario 64. It was like, you know, that thing. So as an adult, learn how to sit with yourself pretty much means reconnect to that part of you that creates the glow. Mm. You know, let go of, you know, it doesn't mean stop, but just let go of the things around you that don't serve you anymore. You know, you don't need to keep striving to prove to people that you're great you know you don't need to keep striving to to live in a grandiose uh, imaginary way just because you know you were told one too many times that you never amount to nothing you know you don't you don't got to prove anybody it's like spend time with yourself you'll be all right so that would be the thing i would tell myself i'd go back in time i would hey two things go on youtube wait is there a YouTube? Well, I don't think YouTube was created yet. But YouTube comes on. Go on YouTube. And the second thing I want to tell you, spend time with yourself without jerking off. No masturbating. Just spend time. <laughs> <laughs> don't play with yourself. Spend time with yourself. It's two different things. You know? And I'll probably go, oh, why? Okay. Thank you. <laughs> that is priceless. Yeah. That's it. Beautiful. Okay. Um, is there anything else you can think of we didn't cover that you'd like to send out there to anyone that might be listening right now? Um, anything more? I don't. I don't think I have anything else to say. And, um, okay. Other than that, hopefully, um, the information falls into the right hands and people do their own research and whatever you do. Um, it's a paradox, as weird as it sounds. It's a paradox. Whatever you do, don't give up on yourself. And I say it's a paradox because when it comes to healing, you have to give up on yourself. You know, it's ironic, but we have a true self and a false self. You got to give up on your false self. And at the same time, don't give up on your true self. You know, there's a true self somewhere in there. He's crying out or she is crying out. Hey, let me out. Don't give up on that one. You know, right. it just so happens that somewhere in the crossroads, as you're crossing over, 
somewhere in there, it feels like you don't even know who you are, you know? And for that period in time, that's where you need to really hold on and say, okay, I don't know who I am right now because I let go of my false self. But I know that in time, my true self will start to come up again, you know? And I just gotta give it time. So you gotta give yourself, you know, it could take a few days, a few weeks, or even a few months, but you gotta give yourself that, that space to trust. You know, you gotta say to yourself over and over, I trust myself. I trust myself. I trust myself. I trust myself. I trust my mind. I trust my heart. I trust my body. I trust myself. And then at some point, once your true self is ready, it'll start to sprout like a little plant. It'll just start to come out. And you go, oh, so that's what sets my soul on fire. Interesting. I've always had an interest for that. Why did I stop? And then you think about it. You go, oh, I stopped because I was told that that was stupid. And then you go, it's not stupid to me. And then you go right back into that. You know, so that's pretty much it. You know, just don't give up on yourself and give up on yourself. You know? Amazing. Okay. Thank you. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Ralph. My pleasure, brother. And thank you for having me. It's my true pleasure. And uh, I hope maybe perhaps, well, later on down the road, we could do it again. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. That would be fun. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening. Um, and thank you so much, Ralph. Like, I, I think these words are, like, it's possible that this could be out there for a very long time, and I truly believe that what you're doing um, and what you've said today is is going to help a lot of people. And... Um, and I really and I thank you. You're one of the first people I talked to when I reached out to you. You met and talked with. With me, and yeah. you opened me up to um, so many concepts that I was missing in, and. Um, and it truly, I believe you were the catalyst that began this healing journey for me, like with the mind-body connection. I, was, I, like you, was doing no starch, yoga, meditation, all those things. And uh, I have uh, an immense amount of gratitude towards you, and, and I know you've touched a lot of people. So anyway, Thank keep doing you, what you're doing. Thank you, brother. I appreciate that. Yeah. Okay, man. Okay, everybody. Goodbye. Bye. The text and audio files contained in this program are for information use only. It is not meant to treat, cure, diagnose any medical health condition you may or may not have. For medical advice and treatment, please speak to a medical health professional.